Lightning in a Bottle, I Love Lucy, Gunsmoke, 60 Minutes, MASH, The Tonight Show, All in the Family, Saturday Night Live, Seinfeld, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. These are some of the most iconic pieces of television that have ever aired in terms of popularity and longevity in the American landscape. However, there is one show that is singularly the most recognizable in all of history and perhaps worldwide to boot. It holds the record for longest-running American animated series, longest-running American sitcom, and the longest-running American scripted primetime television series ever. That, of course, is The Simpsons. I don't have to give an oral history of that show to anyone. It's part of our DNA. Its influence is indelible. The geniuses that developed it, Matt Groening, James L. Brooks, and Sam Simon, rest in peace, have hired a steady roster of equally genius writers and showrunners to maintain the show's integrity and profound impact on our culture. Today we have one such master of his craft. Along with creative partner Bill Oakley, he was a writer, producer, story editor, supervising producer, consulting producer, executive producer, and showrunner for six years on The Simpsons, along with other shows such as Futurama, Mission Hill, Strange Hill High, Danger Mouse, Gravity Falls, and Disenchantment. Today, we welcome television writer-producer Josh Weinstein on this episode of $5 Buzz. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of $5 Buzz. I am your co-host, Roger Mayer out here in Los Angeles, um, also out here in Los Angeles. Well, actually, let me jump backwards because our, our usual co-host, Mr. Pete Liska, is on assignment, as George likes to say. And that is who I'm introducing next, Mr. George Crisar out in Connecticut. How are you, George? Great. Uh, Roger, this is night three. We're three in a row and uh, feeling good. We're locked in. We got another world-class guest, so I'm excited. Uh, let's go, man. That's awesome. And Today, uh, our usual buzzard um, who does all of our artwork, Mr. Nate, the Skate Garden. What, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. My, my wife's in uh, Temecula drinking her face off with her girlfriends. I'm home with the boys. We got Netflix on the couch out there. They got a bowl full of jelly beans. It's boys night here down in Orange County, so we're, we're doing good. Well, that's awesome. Uh, gentlemen, I want us to uh, all take a, a nice big welcome of our guest here today. Uh, we have a uh, veteran showrunner uh, done a couple of things that you might have heard of, such as uh, The Simpsons, and he also worked on Futurama. Uh, he also was a showrunner for was a Danger Mouse, right? Yeah, and, I was just a writer for that. Uh, I was a hanger-on for that. Just a hanger-on for that, he yeah. says. Uh, he also wrote episodes of Gravity Falls. And you helped co-develop with uh, Matt Groening uh, Disenchantment on uh, for Netflix uh, yes. a few years back. Uh, we are very happy to uh, uh, extend a warm welcoming hand to Mr. Josh Weinstein. How you doing, sir? Good. Very good. Thank you. Thank and you. What part of the world are you uh, uh, talking to us from? I'm sitting in our Disenchantment offices in Santa Monica. Wow. That that have been like abandoned since COVID began. So it's like, I came back here like a few months ago and it was like the Mary Celeste where like things like food and stuff was just left on the table like when we left it a year and a half ago. 
but now I'm coming into the office because it's like it's easier to do things. All our stuff is by Zoom. So, but it's I I, I spent the last year sitting in my at my kitchen table doing Zoom, and I was starting to hate my house, which because I, I associated with work, so I didn't want to do that. So I'd rather come and and hate the office. So that's where I am. Well, that's awesome. So I mean, I mean, as far as you getting out of the house and going to work, I mean, I. I, I also work out of the house as a producer. I'd make films myself. And, you know, after a while, you just have to get up and get outside and go take a look at some. And I, I live in a cave, so it's even worse, Josh, because it's literally a cave where I live in. Real, like a real cave? Well, it's a like beer a... cooler, to be exact. Oh, nice. I, I live at the brewery here on the east side. It's a uh, old uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon Brewery. So. Uh, oh, wait, I, I know. I'm Wait, I know somebody. I think who did maybe this is a, do you know Ed Culver? Yes, of course I know Ed Culver is. All right, that's and if this is that long boy, he he dated my ex girlfriend who introduced my wife and me to each other. <laughs> so so anyway, that, that has nothing to do with nothing. But anyway, he's a cool he's a cool really nice guy. So that's I know I know exactly where you are. Photographer. Yeah. He did all the punk rock stuff in the seventies. Yeah. All right, sir. So, Mr. Josh Weinstein, so you go to Stanford, you work, you know, you're editor-in-chief in chief with the Stanford Chaparral. Let's, I think I put yeah. that correct. And um, then you uh, graduate, get out there in the world, write a couple of screenplays, expect scripts for Seinfeld and one for The Simpsons, and then lo and behold, boom. And that's yeah it's boom with long periods of unemployment before, <laughs> between and before the boom because i think like everybody like this was like the, the i went to school in the 80s and by the way i hated i hated college and the only thing i liked my only salvation was the humor magazine right Chaparral. and and it was just like a few fellow weirdos and we just hung out in the offices and like but that taught me that taught me everything I need to know about production and stuff was putting together that magazine. But then everybody thinks like they're, especially this was the late 80s, there was like a comedy boom with like Letterman and stuff. Yeah. And I think people like me and my partner, Bill Oakley, thought we were going to get jobs right away. That, that was not true. Josh, were you, were, when you, can you tell us a little bit about when you left uh, the Bay Area and you were, what was New York like in the late eighties? And I think you were working on a show that yeah, was Dennis Leary on that program. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah. It was like, he was like a known comedian, but that was it. Yeah. Cause we had, we like Bill and I, my, my, on, my writing partner, Bill Oakley and I still do stuff together. Some stuff we do separate, some we do together, but we were best friends from high school in DC. So right after college, we moved back to DC for a couple of years, but then we got hired for this cable job in New York. You know, Comedy Central used to be two comedy channels. It was Ha and then the Comedy Channel, and they merged. And we worked for Ha, which was the lesser low-budget one that wasn't as good. However, we worked on a game show and a talk show that was hosted by Dennis Leary when he was kind of just starting out. And he, he was great and was is nothing like his on-screen persona where he's like just like a lovely lovely, well-spoken, nice guy. You're saying that he is in real life a lovely, well-spoken. Yes, yes, that, that's not his screen person. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I see. Okay, well, um, well, that's awesome. So you guys- Yeah, and that was like New York. I loved, I loved New York so much. Wait, like, wait you're there again? That was like 1989 
to like 1990, right to the beginning of 1991, which is when we got hired for a job out here. And we're like, oh, we're going to make the big time. We're going to LA. And we came out for this job that was on the, the show on NBC and it was canceled after three episodes. And <laughs> then we were unemployed. Literally our unemployment was running out. Like we were on the, like the, the last mm -hmm. week and we didn't know what we we're going to do. And Bill was like, maybe I should move back to DC and get a job at the state department or something. And so we, um, but we had done a couple of freelance things, these small gigs. And um, we had also, we were very lucky that we got assigned a freelance episode of The Simpsons. And so um, we got, and- Was that the one called, wait, was that the one called Marge Gets a Job? Yeah, that's Marge that's Gets one. a Job. That was our first one. That was totally rewritten um, for the better. But it was like, I don't have the exact timeline, but basically we had run out, run out of unemployment. There are a couple of other gigs and then we got another, we got an offer for one show and we said, and we had written this once Simpsons and we said to our agent, hey, can you just call the Simpsons and see if they have a job? And we're, it just so happened that the first, there was a team of guys, Jay Coke and Wally Waldarski who were leaving. And so they, we, it was the right time, perfect time because they had a space for a team and we were a team who they knew that, and then they hired us. And that was like, that was like end of 91, maybe. And so, were you guys also involved with uh, Conan O'Brien? Was he starting out? Yeah, here's this, I had some good Conan stories. Cause he, when we joined the Simpsons, he was the other new guy. He had just been hired like eight months before us. So and all the other guys were like the old, the old guard, the original comedy gods. So like we were like, we were like the new young guys. So like, we kind of like would hang out and stuff. and. Conan was Conan is exactly like he is on his show. And so like working with Conan on The Simpsons was like a, a 10 hour version of being on his show. Because <laughs> everybody else is like me, it's like like kind of like quiet, nerdy person and Conan's Conan. So he's always putting on a show. So so <laughs> Josh and Bill write a spec script called Mars Gets a Job. So Josh and Bill get a job in uh, working yeah. with Conan. In uh, Conan, and then you um, you wrote for the first year that you were on, and then what? How long before you became a showrunner? We were like that was the third season. Like we started, and we were huge Simpsons nuts beforehand. Like we had, we were like everybody else. We had like videotapes of every episode, and we were obsessive nerds of it. So it's like a dream, literally a dream, a dream job. Um, and so, but what happened is like the Simpsons is really good at promoting people it's really fair like like so every year you get it rise up one rank but what happened is like when we came to run the show it's conan was going to run the show and he was going to run the show after um like like season six or seven but then he got this other job and so there was like a vacate there's a space and we were like we were the most senior guys after conan left so we were kind of just like lucky that we were there and and we filled that we got the job. That's so awesome. you guys were kind of there when like it, it's I just I think we're all of the same similar age, but you know, when the Simpsons came out, it was kind of like a cultural phenom. I mean, yeah. Bart Simpson character for a couple of years was kind of 
like this. Commercials and the, yeah. yeah. You know, he had his own rap CD, the T-shirts. The it was like monoculture MTV, uh, just like an overwhelming presence in pop culture. So what was that kind of like? Did you guys have this pressure on yourselves to kind of No, it, it was weird. It's weird because like I – like we were huge buffs of it already. So, but when you're there, it's like you, it was like a real bubble because also like the, there was not, the internet didn't really exist. And so like we didn't, weren't even getting fan feedback except on these like little sites where it was always, by season four, people were saying worst episode ever. That's where it comes from. Like in the, the best season of the best show ever, fans were already going like worst episode, but it was a real bubble and the great thing about the show was like, so we were just writing for ourselves, like to make ourselves laugh. And like, that was, that was it. And it's also because of the way the show was set up when like Jim Brooks and Matt Groening and Sam Simon sold it. And Jim Brooks was really powerful in movies then. Yeah. And so that's why they got Fox to agree. And Fox was a new network. So they got Fox to agree to no notes, no interference, which never happens and would never happen again. So it really was this like little bubble. We were like a, sat in these really crummy rundown offices in on the Fox lot, and it was delightful. Was was and, Brooks, and it was Brooks involved when it was originally aired on the Tracy Ullman show before it became a series? Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing too is that they were when they were doing when it was on Tracy Ullman, nobody the writers didn't want to write for this stupid little thing called Simpsons. Yeah, and so it was like the it was guys like. Jake Hogan, Wally Waldarski, who were PAs on that show. And they said like, well, who's gonna, who wants to write for this, st this stupid cartoon that we don't like? And they, they and a couple other people volunteered. So it was, but Jim Brooks, Jim Brooks was very much involved, especially like in the first few years. A couple of houses in the Cayman Islands and who's laughing now, right? Yeah. So Gosh, uh, speak to like the, the development of the show. Like how does the show Start, like you get a team of writers you just come in and pitch an idea and you just blow up from the how, how does it how, how does it yeah, show, it, it it show yeah it depends like like for the simpsons it what the real the story is that somebody a producer who worked for jim brooks you know and he was a big movie director saw these cartoons with life and hell by matt grading and and they gave one of the producers gave jim brooks like a framed copy of one of Matt's cartoons that was really funny and he loved it and he so I think he was the one who was like let's let's do these shorts on a Tracy Ullman show and it's like and also and then Matt did these quick drawings based on his family and named them on after members of his family and that and and then it kind of like took off from there so but that's that's really unusual because normally you have to spend like years developing a show and then you go out and pitch it and then they said buy a pilot and blah, blah, blah. And it's a really, and it's gotten long, even harder over the years. But that was, that was like, that was a quick phenomenon in the way. It's like a perfect storm. It's just a... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, yeah, yeah a perfect storm too, because then they hired the, this great like writing staff of people who were not classic sitcom writers, but were like weirdos from all different walks of life. So when, when, when an episode gets written, though, like someone comes in with an idea and you guys just wrap back and forth like Jack.
has on like, how, how does an episode come to be like you that's said, a good question it's like it either comes from like the showrunner has a bunch of ideas they want or the writer comes like we would have every year there's like a two story conferences uh -huh. which is just like where you're like locked in a hotel room for two days you go home at night but it's like and and every writer comes with like maybe like three ideas and they pitch them to the room and that the room is just like the writers and at the time it'd be Jim Brooks, Matt Groening and Sam Simon. And you pitch the ideas and it's a friendly, it's a really friendly, it's intimidating because those, those guys are huge, but it's like a very nice environment. And they just, they just decide which episodes they want to do. Then in those two days, you kind of flesh them out. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go back to the rewrite room and you'd spend like maybe three more days pitching it out just with the writers and, and Matt and, and Sam. Um, and then you'd go off and you write the script in like three weeks. You do a first draft per episode. Per episode. Yeah, per episode. Yeah. And then the shorter gives you notes, then you do another draft. Then it goes to the room and the magic of the Simpsons is like so much is rewritten in a room. Yeah. And also because it's an animated show, you know, like if you're doing a sitcom, you've got to write it in a week and you film it the next week and then that's it. But with an animated show, the time frame is like 10 months. So there are like five different times you can rewrite the show. And that's why The Simpsons is so good is because it's constantly edited. being honed and edited. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the Sun Night Live nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's also like, there's a big difference. Like I've heard, because also a number of Simpsons writers <clears throat> also worked on Saturday Night Live and there's a huge difference in the Saturday Night Live has a real cutthroat environment where every writer's outfit, culture very yeah really negative and really unpleasant and really stressful and the simpsons and other matt graining shows are the opposite where it's a total democracy and it didn't matter like like when we were like the new guys or like a writer's assistant if they pitch a joke and it's funny it goes in or if they have an idea it doesn't matter seem like all egos and senior seniority are left at the door so it's like it's it's a real democracy like a real humor lab and that's what makes that makes the show so good is because yeah. there's not you don't have that stress that's, that's yeah go ahead i was gonna say josh you know um it's funny you mentioned uh, comedy central because i was my daughter and i were watching you know it's funny that the simpsons kind of transcends uh time and space and i remember when you, you said fox was just starting out but i think the simpsons and married with children really put that network on the map and gave them a yeah. lot of uh potential right to do to go on to do bigger things and uh but i remember we were watching who my daughter and i were watching the episode who shot mr burns and they were talking to the crowd and uh i think there was a you guys took a shot at comedy central it's like oh, i'm watching comedy central and the other characters was like oh that's terrible but you know knowing yeah, that's that, right. that yeah that was our episode yeah yeah i thinking that maybe you guys were doing like a competitive jab at like the comedy central guys <laughs> which uh i appreciate but you know after the simpsons you you know you're on this you were running this uh you were part of a team and then the show became very successful we, we did you have a lot of leverage to kind of do what you wanted after that or how did your next projects and ideas uh come to fruition after that yeah well it's also like we were like the simpsons was already like a huge the weird thing is like at the time it was a huge phenomenon and it was before we worked on it but at the time people over 40 did not watch the show 
and really didn't know about it. So like we'd go like while we were like running a show and and after like we'd have meetings with executives and it was clear they did they they didn't know the show. So it was like it was popular among young people and kids, but it was like a weird thing because you knew it was like a big hit, but it didn't it didn't totally, totally help us, but it did help us. The boom was like still running things then. Huh? <laughs> The boomers were still running things. Yes, yes. It's uh, <laughs> don't don't make me go on about them. But it was like it was, it was a real weird. It was a real weird thing because you're you're in this bubble of The Simpsons and you love it and you know they're diehard fans. But then you go for a meeting and they don't know what you're talking about. But it did give us like it was all. It was an era where like comedy writing you could get like overall deals. Yeah, and stuff. And so we were able to wangle. A, a deal with a company and then we developed our animated show Mission Hill with them with Castle Rock which was a really doesn't exist anymore but was like a really great company because it's run by Rob Reiner and it was real comedy oriented and they were really supportive but um so yeah there we did have like we did have some some leverage but it's not as much as you would think or you'd hope for you know was that Castle Rock yeah Castle Rock so, uh, I mean, also, I mean, winning three Emmys helps a little bit get you in the room, too. I mean, I imagine to some degree, not, despite the fact that they didn't know the work. But, you know, I mean, at least you got in the room to pitch some stuff. Even some hardware. Is, is that did that help you at all? No, no. Oh, I swear. It's like, I mean, it's like people like now, like yeah. nowadays, because now, because now there's executives who grew up with like The Simpsons and Futurama. Yeah. Now it like now it opens doors. But back then, I swear it wasn't like it was like it, we had like a little bit of cachet, but it wasn't it it wasn't it wasn't much. Yeah, the people in charge of making the content. We just talked about this in a couple episodes last week. Are those of us that grew up, you know, with the fetish for you know. Uh, horror movies and EC comics and underground yeah. comics and all that stuff, you know, whatever. And, you know, they're running the show now, finally, you know, they were finally, what used to be considered adolescent material has now become, you know, very popular, very. Major. Yeah, exactly. And what we like, we yeah, were considered like that, by the way. So, yeah, well, cause like we were like stuff we did was considered like really dark or really weird. And now it's, it would seem really tame, but like, we never got that. Cause it's like, we're not trying to do that. We're just doing what amuses us. That's right. But it, there's been, yeah, there's been a big, nice cultural shift where like nerdy stuff and everything else has become much more in the mainstream. So, so post Simpsons, I mean, when you start to get into, like you mentioned, you were able to get Mission Hill off the ground for a very brief period of time. Um, and then you got, then, then do you jump to Futurama? Yeah, the, the, there's again, there's periods of periods of unemployment where it's like when you're, it's also like, it's really hard to sell shows. So like after Mission Hill and Mission Hill was canceled really abruptly. It was like, that was like a real low point because we had invested like a year and a half making that show with like a really great staff and people just loved it. And it was canceled really abruptly. And we were like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? And so, but then we kind of like Bill and I regrouped. And then there's a period where we, we sold and made a bunch of pilots, but most of them didn't go ahead. 
so but it was a lot of that it requires like a lot of hustling yeah just a lot of running around and then um and we we briefly in season four we worked we worked on futurama while also trying to do like sell those pilots and stuff because we were friends our friend david cohen and matt grading were they were running that so right. they nicely let us on for that season but then we did just did a bunch of pilots a number of them got made one got on the air but then was canceled which and one was then, that that was the mullets okay yeah which was an awesome show it was on upn and again it was like it was a really stupid but really funny show and we loved it and it was like the, like the network was real supportive it was really funny but it just it got it got canceled so whatever and then so so at a, at a certain point then um also being a writing team in hollywood is not good financially because like you have to split a salary so like even when we were running the simpsons oh, we're basically man. splitting a salary so it's you make significantly less than if you're in an individual and so bill and i at a certain point were like you know we're gonna have to we'll still do stuff together but we're gonna have to split up at some point and so we we eventually we did but then we're like we're still gonna do stuff and we're doing stuff now in fact we're we're about to pitch a spinoff of mission hill oh great in a few weeks that we've been developing but um but um so yeah then there was another there's another failed animated show um <laughs> that sucked that that i i helped run that was bad i won't even mention it and then um okay. and then um after that then yeah then i went on when futurama was revived for comedy central i was hired just on the staff of that which i love because it's like when you run a show there's non-stop responsibilities but when you're on a staff, it's real, it's real fun. So I did that for a few years and that was delightful. And then I also developed and ran a show in England, but a kid's show that was a puppet show that I love, that was probably my favorite experience of all the and, stuff I've done. What's the name of that show? That was called Strange Hill High. And it was a puppet show. You can look it up. I think they have some episodes on YouTube. Um, and we did two seasons and it was delightful and it was made with like real, real puppets. And it was like, it was really weird, delightful show. And the difference in like doing a show in England, like when we were developing the BBC executives actually said, could you make this weirder? And like really like pushed us to like make it weirder and, and funnier. And it was just like, that was such a great experience. And so like, I kind of want to, I wish I could go go there and do more stuff there because it's a different it's a much more supportive collaborative environment for comedy there i think mr garden needs a spinoff of strange hill high oh yeah that's right by the way one of the teachers it takes place it's it takes place at a weird school that was like built on a burial ground or whatever like this haunted weird things happen in this school and the three kids are always investigating it and the cool teacher the one teacher they really like is Mr. Garden. English based professor. on our uh, Mr. Garden. Look at that. Yeah. Hundred thousand little Australian kids know my name. Yeah, it was like it was a like you know what? It was a big it was a big hit in but in in England, Australia, and Ireland, and it still shows. So yeah, their kids kids all over the UK. I got murdered. I'm in a little storybook. I got it on the wall here. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it reminds me, a buddy of mine did a show called the Puckin' Fuppet Show, so the uh, it's uh, it has some very similar 
dark humor uh, guy named Bad Otis Link. And um, that sounds very similar. So yeah, that was the thing too. It's like, it was pretty, it's a kid's show, but it had like, it wasn't like rude or anything like that, but it had some like dark humor, but it was like, kids got it and loved it. It didn't, you know. There was a Netflix run. It was available on Netflix for a while. Yeah, it was on Netflix Kids for a while too. And uh, that's a show like Futurama that we're always hoping maybe they'll revive. Yeah. And then, uh, so then right after the Strange Hill High, and how long did, how many years did you do that? We did that. I was doing that like concurrently with Futurama, but that was two, that was two seasons. I think it was like 23 episodes. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna check that out. I haven't seen that. It's I'm, fantastic. I want to find that Mr. Garden Puppet. It's good stuff. Gosh, I, I want the puppet. I understand it's like six feet tall. Though. Yeah, I want the puppet. You know what? If I go back there, like that, because all those puppets, they're all in storage in this in this facility in Manchester where we filmed the show. So yeah, if I could ever, a I hope they revive the show. But if I could get the hands on the Mr. Garden Puppet, I will. I oh, you, you I'll have it in my sanctuary until they they put me in the ground. Josh. Yeah. That's those the puppets are really cool. You, t- you should look at it. It's a it's a great show. <laughs> Josh, can you talk a little bit about um splitting from your well not splitting, but when you made the decision that you weren't gonna write as a team, was that uh kind of um you know it's a big change from what you were used to, I suppose. So was that a big career uh you know existential change or was it just did you have material and ideas that you were happy to work on without uh your partner it was kind of like it was of course it was weird because also like my partner it was also my best friend since we were like 16 so but it was like i i think it's like we knew we'd be friends anyway, anyway so it wasn't like there was like a, there was awkwardness at the initial split and then, but then it was kind of like all healed up. It so, seems like that happened on the show, but there was some, like, just yes. the show that I don't want to mention. And I won't say caused, it. Caused a lot of strife between us I as see. well. And then it was like, but luckily, like w- within a year of that, it what, was like that. One was of you past. left, one of you stayed. One of you left. Yes, I you- stayed. Bill wisely left. So I'll give him credit for that. And, um, but that caused, that caused friction. It was, that was really hard, but then we kind of like, then, then what happened was they, they wanted to revive another, a pilot that we had written together. And that kind of brought us back together. This, that, that was a drama that then we actually, oh, we did sold to Bravo, but then we kind of got us back together. And then it was just like old times. And then it was like, nothing had happened. And we sort of just moved on from there, which is nice. How long did you not speak to each other? Ah, you don't have to say. I don't know. It might, maybe it was like six months. Well, it's not long. So, so it's not bad. It's out, out of knowing each other for what? I'm 55. We know it's like what? So like knowing each other for like 40 Almost years. 40 years, yeah. Yeah, so... So that's it's it was unpleasant, and I blame myself as much for for it. But it's like that. It's really was just luckily just a blip. I go two or three years without talking to some of my best friends, and then it's like nothing never changed. Huh. Um, this, this is your buddy. He wrote for the Harvard Lampoon. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So you're in you're at Stanford doing your thing, and he's at two. That's yeah, so and that's then so what what would happen is like 
Yeah, we like I would go, I hung out, I'd go, I started hanging out at Harvard in the summers. And you know, like the Lampoon would do like these parody projects. Uh-huh. And I was just hanging out and the guys there were like really nice, the guys and girls. And so they they just kind of welcomed me in and then I helped on the projects. Yeah. And so and then they just like made me like a, a honorary member. But a lot those people who were on the Lampoon at the time besides Bill also included like David Cohen who went on to create Futurama and Paul Sims who created News Radio and is now writing What We Do in the Shadows. And so it's like a real talented group of like really funny people. Is that going on right now? Like on that campus or are, are the television honchos 20 years from now getting honed on the Lampoon? There's, the- you know, there's some, but it's happening. The nice thing is like, it's happening everywhere uh-huh. in the world. Like it's not like it used to be like the Lampoon was like one of a few things that where you could maybe hope to get a job uh-huh. in Hollywood. But now because of like the internet, there's such a bigger funnel of bringing potential people in like so it's not there i'm you know there's somebody in the lampoon now who will become a successful writer but there are other people who won't yeah was there like a friendly rivalry between the, the stanford and the, and the and the harvard yeah. yeah yeah i mean at least we're when bill and i were doing it and we actually did like a joint issue so um but like the lampoon is a much bigger operation that would have like 20 or 30 people on staff and they have like a big funds and the chaparral was kind of like, even though chaparral is really old, it's like a hundred years old. It is much more rinky dink. And we'd be lucky if we had like seven people who'd work on it. Now, is that a club that you just join or do you have to be recruited? How does that work on the, on the campus? On, on, for the chaparral, it's just like, if you show up, you're on the magazine. <laughs> they need, but then it's like, then it's just who shake, who shake, shakes out. But like when we were there, like it's also like we would just like hang out in offices and drink uh-huh. <laughs> on weekends and stuff. Yeah. And so it, it was like it was like our weirdo social club for like yeah. you know, maybe 10 people, 10, 10 men and women at a time. Uh oh. Uh well that sounds like a good moment for a break. Okay. Uh so let's uh Take a minute and uh, we'll come right back, ladies and gentlemen, and more of Josh Weinstein. Hey, we have a quick favor to ask. We want to get the word out, and the way to help is for you to subscribe to us on either Apple or Spotify. And it would be really huge if you give us a rating and a review. Much love. And we're back, everybody. This is $5 Buzz with Josh Weinstein. If you like the show, please support the show. Uh, Leave us a comment, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and and hit the bell notification. That voice that you hear is Henley Kersar. She's a longtime listener. She's a first time caller. And uh, we wanted to give Josh uh, a fan question. And Henley and I watched uh, two episodes that were of The Simpsons that were written by Josh and it was called Who Shot Mr. Burns? And we really appreciated it. I remember it when it came out. And Henley, what are your questions? You get two questions, so speak so, loudly. Um, so how, where did you come out about the idea about it? The, the idea for the show, correct? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. It actually, it actually wasn't, it wasn't our idea. It was Matt Groening's idea. Matt Groening, the guy who created The Simpsons. And it so happened we were, Bill and I were 
we worked in the offices and they're rinky dink old offices and our office was at the bottom of the stairs and Matt Groening's office was at the top of the stairs. And we, most writers were in the rewrite room, but because we were in our office writing the script, we were the first people Matt saw when he had the idea. And I, so I still remember, I can envision it, where Matt Groening came to our door. It was a screen door and he said, hey, we should do a show like who shot an episode like who shot JR, which was that was a show called Dallas, which was in the seventies, which was kind of like a, a cheesy show, but it had a guy who got shot and it was like a big mystery. And so Matt said, Hey, we should do a show like that, but with Mr. Burns. And we were like, that's a good idea. We'll write that. And then, and then we did. But it came <laughs> it from kind of like a cliffhanger from one season to the next. Yeah. It was the first time there was like a two part episode so we really planned it out like a real mystery that we really wanted it to be like, you could solve this mystery and it'll only be a one answer. And it, but it was a genuine mystery. So it's really extra hard to write. And you were, you, Henley, you were guessing the whole time who you thought it would be, right? So, um, I thought it was Homer, but then um, they thought it was, and then, cause they, like, I, I thought it was, I thought it was Mr. Smithers because they, he said it in the room <laughs> and then, and then I knew who was it, but then I realized um, that it was Maggie. Those are, you know what, those are better guesses than a lot of people had. Because those are those that guys all ended up being like the major suspects. So that that's real good on you. Because a lot of people didn't even get that. Good powers of deduction. Yeah. And you have one last quick question before you you go, right? Yeah, and this is the funny one. Um, why did Mister Burns need so much money if he was so old? Because. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like some, some people like him in the world, he's so greedy that he doesn't care that he's old. He wants it all for himself. Even, yeah. and he, it doesn't matter how old. And if he, he was shot, he's gonna, he wanted to keep it to himself, take it with him, not share of anyone. Cause he's, he's a mean old jerk. <laughs> like yeah, some real people in the world. remember Homer and he's been um, working at the Kenyans. <laughs> Yeah, that was a running that was a running thing that that Mr. Burns could never ever remember Homer or his name. Thank you. Well, Thank you. Those are good questions. Know. Thank you for calling in, and uh, you'll we'll hopefully you call back into the show again soon. Bye, Daddy. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> she outed you there. Bye, Daddy. Yeah. Gosh, is there like a like in the early days and then? Is there like a ritual, like when your show is, is released, did you tune in and watch it? Like, do you, what did you do in the early on when your show was on primetime, something you made and created and it was, and the whole world is going to see it. Did you sit down and watch it? Like, was there, or are you so fed up with it and tired of it when it airs that you don't? Um, it's kind of a combination. Cause like before any episode airs, like we we're editing it and watching it literally probably like 30 times. So like, okay. we kind of like know it by heart and are kind of sick of it, but still it was really thrilling to see what we did be on actual TV. So a lot of times we'd sit down with our friends and watch and watch the episodes just because it was fun. I, I always wonder about that, like creative types, if they, if they watch these, some guys, they say they don't watch their own movies and stuff. I always wondered. Yeah. No, we, I mean, we watched it because we were fans of a show. And also, by the way, like, you know how like people are always quoting Simpsons lines? 
Yeah. Like we would be quoting them in the office before the episodes even aired. So like we're the, like the original <laughs> fanboys because there's certain lines like we would just say over and over and over again that and some ended up being popular and some didn't. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, there's more than half of the stuff I've worked on I have not seen. So I could I could attest there, to yeah, there's some shows like that show that caused yeah, Bill and me to split that I would never ever ever want to see. But if other shows that were happy experiences, which were most of them I'd glad I'd you know yeah. I'd gladly watch. When my films play Sundance, I sit in the audience and watch. That's a that's a few times that I, I'll I'll watch with the audience, you know. That seems like that must be cool. Yeah, it, it's fun. The um well, that's the thing too. So you've you worked almost exclusively in television. Have yeah, you- we tried we tried movies and never we like sold a few and they never got made. So and you didn't work on the Simpsons movie, did you? No, we were lo- yeah. we were long gone when that long came gone by then. Right. So, um, yeah, and I, and it's almost exclusively been animation too. So you haven't. What did, how many live action stuff? have you written or worked on we did like the only live action show we did that got on the air was that one the mullets we did a bunch we did a bunch of pilots that were actually great and in fact we did two pilots that gave emma stone her first two jobs in hollywood and one of them was a remake of the partridge family that was done it was done with by mtv and it was just like a nightmare to do but and we found Emma Stone, who's named Emily Stone at the time, in this national talent search. Like we flew around the country, and she was in LA. But it was like literally picking her out of a crowd of two thousand people. But because she was the most talented, so like we actually gave her 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 first two jobs in Hollywood, um, and those were obviously live action. Yeah. And there are a few other, but it just kind of ended up that like I I was stuck in animation, and then I kind of just love animation. And now I prefer it. I don't. I don't want to leave. You can. You have a lot more freedom. You, you ever stick your own voice on there? Sometimes we did in in Mission Hill. Bill and I both did voices, and probably on on some other show I'll do. I'll do that. I mean, at this point, you've got to. I mean, thirty three years that show has been running, The Simpsons, thirty three seasons. Yeah, and you know you got to work and write for probably the most famous, you know, voice actors in history. I mean, and more, more or less outside of uber famous people that do a movie here and there, but people who, for the most part, I mean, I know that most of them have done acting, you know, I know they're all actors, right? but I mean, they are way more famous for being those voices than they are being in, I mean, outside of Harry Shearer, maybe, you know, as far as being, um, right. And like, I don't know how, What's it like working with Harry Shearer? <laughs> that you know what? That's like they're like at so at the time like they were like like Hank Azaria was just starting to get famous and like Harry Shearer was known in comedy circles. Yeah. But other than that, it was like they and like the actors are so like they're like famous now, but they're like real low key and really nice to work with. And and even Harry Shearer, who's kind of famous as like being a cranky guy, yeah. he was like really supportive of us and like our episodes so it's like it's just like dealing with different personalities but he was not he was the same as the other people who are just like they're kind of delightful and like they clearly like working together 
and and like ad libbing and stuff. So it was kind of fun. Like I remember the first time we Bill and I attended a table read, like we had to like cover our mouths from laughing so much because we were so amazed. Like I couldn't be like, I can't believe I'm sitting like five feet from Dan Castellaneta as he's doing like the Barney voice or whatever. And it was amazing. Yeah. Watching those guys do it sometimes, you know, when you see them actually doing it, kind of yeah, it's out, insane. Out a little bit. Um, the yeah, cameo goes like like the rock school and stuff. Like when like does like Mick Jagger come on set? Like yeah, we- well, it depends. It depends. Like some like some people you go to, uh-huh. like like occasion like when we did like Sonic Youth was on one of our episodes, and we I flew, was just gonna ask you about Sonic Youth. That's, they were the best because it's like we were like that was like. Matt, Matt Groening and my personal pick was Sonic Youth. Like we were like, we got it. We have to have somebody from classic rock, somebody from rap, somebody from more indie rock. And so, but Sonic Youth was, was Matt and my choice because we both love them. Well, Sonic so, Youth fanatic too. So there we yay, go. Yay. And so we flew, they were based in New York then or recording an album there or whatever. So we flew to New York. So based, besides recording them, then we got a, our own private Sonic Youth concert because they performed the theme. And I think, I don't think we asked them to do that. I think they said, hey, we do a version. We're, we, we've been working on this version of the theme. Want to hear it? And we were like, that's going in the show. <laughs> so, so they were, so like, that was really cool. Like they were really friendly. All the, all the ones on that Homer Palooza, like Cypress Hill yeah. were great. And Peter Frampton, in fact, was the, one of the top five guests we ever had just because he was so friendly and he was so gung-ho and he was so happy to like make fun of himself. That's like that's the best type of celebrity guest yeah. is somebody who gets it and will make fun of themselves. Right. So who, like, who so like that, what? Who? Oh, there's, you know what here, I won't say who it is. Okay. Cause they're a pretty well-known actor, but there was an actor who we recorded who was really difficult to work with and did not do that great a job. And then we cut them out of the episode. Okay. So, so they're there, and I won't name who it is. It's actually somebody who I really like. And I've gotten for a few years, I was like, I couldn't watch their movies, but now I can. But anyway, there've been a I think in the history of the show, there have been a few people who are real difficult to work with, but most are real like they're either like when we were doing it, it was more like if their kids or grandkids were fans of a show, then they got their grandpa or grandma to do it. You know, like Kirk Douglas or Glenn Close or somebody like that, mm-hmm. but who may not have watched the show themselves. But most people are real friendly. I can tell you, like, like some guests, like when we had Bob Newhart, like all the writers came to the studio. Of course, were like he's our he's our god. But okay. like for example, when Elizabeth Taylor did it, every single person on the show, like fifty people, were came into the studio to gawk at her. So it just kind of depends on the level. But they're like. Some, most, like all, most of the guest stars we ever had were pretty friendly, except for that particular person. But to one person, one person. That's awesome that you said Sonic Youth before I brought it out of you. I love that. Um, so the, um, the success of that stuff and, and you going on, and obviously you haven't touched anything that's been that successful since. You have a couple things that have, uh, uh, that are like the disenfranchised. How many seasons is disenchantment? This is like we're doing. It's technically, I guess, it's our like what it's like if you count every ep- 10 episodes as a season, then this is our fifth. But yeah, no, I don't think 
I'm never gonna work in something that as that was like it's like nobody will. They said it's like <laughs> light, that was lightning in a bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never like. There's like sometimes I wonder like you know like in apocalypse now like never get out of the boat. Like we could have just stayed on the Simpsons and it'd been fun, but like we wanted to go out and do our own stuff, which is great. And I learned a lot, but will I will never come close to something like that. I know. So now you fucking said my favorite movie. So now you just you just what do you All right. It's what it's I'm obsessed with that movie. I have seen it like 10 times. I've, I've seen it about 90 and I've seen all three versions multiple times. Uh the the last one, the final cut I saw it twice at the Cinerama Dome. Um anyway, so shit, Josh. What what do you so what's so what's you got something in the hopper now? What 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 do you got going on? What's what's happening right now? Okay, right now I'm I'm running disenchantment. Like we're right, we're like in the you know, because animation, like so what we're doing now, it's not gonna come on the air for like a year and a half. We have like a season in the in the in the can that's probably gonna air in in January. Uh meanwhile, I'm working on a couple other things. Like as I said, Bill and I've been working for like two years on this spin-off of Mission Hill that we're about to go and, and pitch and try to sell um, to some network. We're doing that. I'm developing a one other show that I can't say, but it's with some some people who, again, like like when I did Gravity Falls and the Sip, Gravity Falls and Simpsons, I was a huge fan of before I worked on the show. And now I'm developing a, a show with people, some people from YouTube who I was a huge, insane fan of that now I feel real lucky that I'm doing something to them. And so it's, that's an animated show. And so we'll see about that. You, I mean, it's, you're in a position still where, you know, just like anybody as a showrunner and as, 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 as somebody who's a showrunner and a writer and a, you know, creator developer, um, you still gotta, you know, are you ever going to be able to just make something without having to go through somebody else? Do you ever just create something? Can't, I mean, as a writer, do you ever work with somebody and just on the side and do your own thing? I mean, I've made so many independent films that way. You right. know, that's what I'm trying to say. Instead of something that's necessarily studio driven. I know in television, it's almost impossible to do without that kind of. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? That's. But not... I'm asking you, have you made anything independently of the studio system? No. <laughs> okay. No, I haven't. And I said, if it's this one thing with these YouTube guys, it's, it's similar because it's, we're doing it outside. It's outside of, they have their own thing. Right. That's what I mean. So that's like, to me, and that's the way of the future. That's what I'm saying. It's, it, yeah. yeah. And it's also like, it by, it's also like, it's so, it's so insanely refreshing because these guys have their own thing, their own operation. So it's just them calling the shots. And it's like, we'll do, we're doing what we want to do. And then if some bigger entity studio buys it, great. But if not, they'll just do it, you know? And that is the way, there's so much. And the crazy thing is because like, now there's so many channels and stuff, you'd think it'd be easier. But for some reason, the development process when you do it with studios has become, and I've heard this from every writer I know, literally like five times longer. It's insane. Like it, it shouldn't take a year to develop something and go sell it. But it's just like there's so many fingers involved, you know. And what's crazy is despite, you know, going through the golden, this, this modern third golden age of television, right? And uh, after the Sopranos and so forth, when they when that whole period of, I'm talking mostly live action stuff, 
but as the the more off the more that you have the opportunity for access to channels and 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 streaming platforms and so forth it's funny how the degree of creativity shrinks too with that open space you would think there would be a lot more you know where's the unshin and the you know network channel you know where is the uh you know the the, the boon well you know where's the avant-garde channel where's the more courageous or the more right that used to be bravo I, I, yes, <laughs> but, but it's not yeah, yeah. so no it's it's there's more but there's more crap it's that's like I mean. that's that's it's, like I'm, I'm always wanting like charnel house yeah like where's i want to see like the next rick and morty but there's so many cookie there's a lot more animated shows but there are a lot ones of ones that are cookie cutter that are just kind of copying other ones and so it's yeah even copying in themselves yeah that show that's like eating its own tail yeah what's the one that they had on hulu that is exact replica of rick and morty but made by roland and um, dan Harmon, which is really weird i mean i love those those first three seasons of rick and morty yeah exactly but yeah it's like so there's a there's a lot more and there's a lot more there's still a lot more crap so it is like it's going to always be those things that come from left field well, is there, is there a formula to comedy? Like you just think of funny shit and put. Like, how, how does it happen? <laughs> That's. I think I think you just think of like something that you really like that makes you laugh. That seems like it's conducive to stories. You know, that's like combine a great idea with like really good characters. Yeah, and, and stuff, and then. But also, like one thing, like also, like so many animated shows make the mistake is like it's also got to have a distinct look. Like you gotta like, like so many of these shows just look like they copy Family Guy, and it's like no, you like need a distinct look. And if you're just a writer, go to a cartoonist that you like, and develop it with them. But so it's like a bunch of different pieces that you bring together, and that like if you can imagine a lot of stories coming from it, then it's a good then it's a good idea but it's like the ideas can come from any direction or influence you know a lot, a lot of animation gets done was it uh, korea right yeah a lot of because it's like there's korea ireland vietnam there are places where there's it's it's cheaper labor yeah of course and so and there, you hear about like some good companies there but there's also companies that exploit people it's unfortunate but you know they're working (laughs) so people are people get to work at least uh in some of those yeah and one thing is like that's one thing that happened during covid is like live action shows shut down but because animation is basically done remotely anyway and you're like the animators could take their decks home with them writers can work remotely and we even recorded the actors remotely so it's like that like animation stayed alive during the last two years where other shows had to shut down. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think we're getting getting about there. What what uh what are you thinking there? Last thoughts there, guys. Mr. Uh, George. Yeah, Josh, I just really appreciate you taking the time and uh I'm looking forward to these projects that you got coming out and uh Thanks. um you know, it's cool just kind of just to see like, uh, you know, my daughter uh, was really got into the symptoms. So it's really cool to talk to somebody that, uh, you know, when I was not a little bit older than her, 
I was watching that show and it was a big, uh, huge uh, cultural phenom. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's nice to have be part of something that uh, you can enjoy uh, throughout the uh, generation. So it's that's really- it. Yeah, that's what we forget is especially cool these yeah. days where it's because, like I said, when we were doing it, there there's barely an Internet. So it's literally only like the last 10 years that we're meeting people that like, oh, we had an effect on you. And it's like the yeah. same like we were huge fans of seasons one and two before we worked on it so it's like we're the same the same thing but it's really it's the last 10 years it's really cool meeting both now kids like your daughter who are just learning about it but then also meeting adults who grew up on it so like somehow like we influence like lines that came out of our heads now like these people are saying so it's cool. yeah and it's cool just to see the whole you know for you to think back to where you were and working on something that was really important you know, and then have some little kid come in and ask you about it. It's got to be really rewarding, but uh, I yeah, just want to say awesome. thank you. Thank you for everything, thank man. You. It's really cool of you, you to take your time. The cultural fabric, man. It's- yeah, yeah like- no, it's like, that's like, it's, that's really cool to have like, have, have some thread in that, in that fabric is really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything you want to say to your buddy there, Nate? Yeah, hey, um, I love to Lisa and the kids, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, awesome. likewise, likewise from from them. He's. I was just saying again. He he was the absolute, not just like the best teacher that my daughter ever had, but they just so cool and fantastic. So oh, thanks, man. Thanks to you. I'll bring that Mr. Garden puppet home for me. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm yeah, go- They're like eight feet tall. You might have to get them. Yeah, the they're like this. I'm going to. I'm go if. COVID calms down. I'm going to Manchester in April. So if I see those guys that go to that company, I'll, I'll find out about that puppet or uh, steal it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Josh, I, I want to thank you for coming on board. You're now my new favorite writer of all television. Just because awesome. kindred, kindred, kindred. completely biased, I'm going to be on this. I'll take that. All right. And again, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really wonderful to meet somebody who is uh, touch the hands of God of uh, the major influence. I mean, one of the biggest shows in the history of television. You know, I mean, it's the Simpsons is up there, man, with anything that's ever been important on television. There's no, oh, that's a, and that's, yeah. I can say, we felt like when Bill and I started on the show, that's exactly how we, we felt like, oh my God, they're, they we're amidst comedy gods and we better just like shut up till we know what we're doing. But it was, it's the same thing. We I love so Luke, in all 60 that. minutes. The Simpsons, The Sopranos, you know, it's in that it's in that wheelhouse. It's what, yeah. you know, revolutionized and changed television and became beyond just the zeitgeist, became part of the fabric and the DNA of then and the future. Of That's all cool. Of, yeah. It's cool to think it's also we were just trying to make ourselves laugh. So like and, I, and it was cool. that simple that just resonated. Yeah. With the entire world yeah that's awesome. and that's that's something man hey thank you so much again and thank you listeners for enjoying uh joining us for this latest edition of five dollar buzz if you have any comments or questions or ideas for topics or future guests please email us at five dollar buzz and that's f-i-v-e-d-o-l-l-a-r-b-u-z-z at gmail.com and we will get back to you as soon as we get done writing our own tv special Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night. Bye.